It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Happy 2022. We're back and better than ever. <laughs> I had a great break. I did miss doing the podcast last week. Kind of felt weird, but I'm. it was a great break. I heard... A rumor that you surfed every day. Every single day I surfed. The first part of the week. An we, athlete, yeah, some would say. Yeah, yeah, big old athlete. Got there Christmas night and surfed all week. And then towards the end of the week, the waves were so good. My arms felt like they were going to fall off by the time I got back to Raleigh. For you the must be year. jacked now, a little Danny Britt in you. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm buff. I'm pretty big. I can lift things over my head. Well... A lot happened as soon as we got back. I mean, things were happening right before Christmas, but getting back January 3rd, this past Monday, man. So we all knew that we were coming back January 3rd, that NCGA was coming back into session, but right now nothing's happening. However, the redistricting trial started on Monday and has been going all week. We're recording on Thursday morning. They just wrapped up closing arguments in that trial, and we do expect to hear a verdict in that case by Tuesday. The hearing was pretty boring up until Wednesday when Senator Ralph Heiss, who is the chair of the redistricting committee on the Senate side, testified, and then... Representative Destin Hall followed him, and it seemed to be, at least if you were just watching it on social media, the plaintiffs felt somewhat validated by his testimony. Can you kind of unwrap it? I would say we should back up to last week. It appears that in depositions, Representative Hall stated that there were these concept maps that were used that Dylan drafted outside of the committee room. Dylan Real. Dylan Real drafted outside of the committee room that kind of just showed the geography of North Carolina. And Representative Hall, he testified yesterday that he looked at those maps for a few seconds and that he believed them to be inconsequential. Hmm. However, the plaintiffs did say that this shows that the process was secretive. You, I mean, the headline on Twitter and on all of the news organizations was there were secret maps. They used these maps, and Representative Hall testified that if he had used other maps, he would have made the maps more Republican. Mm. So you could really take a look at it and say, mm, either way is this important or is it just one thing that the court will be considering? Yeah. We should expect to have a verdict in that case, but this is at the superior court level. You still have the court of appeals and the Supreme court. There is a process where you could bypass the court of appeals, file a bypass petition and go straight to the Supreme court. There's also the option not to appeal. So what is going to happen with those cases is yet to be seen. And by the way, those are three separate cases that were merged into one for this trial, 
which is why there were three different plaintiff's attorneys coming up one by one for questioning. Meanwhile, you have the General Assembly in session. They are poised to act if needed. Why would they be in session? So the court could demand that they draw new maps and they could give them a two-week period to do so. If that were to happen, they would need to come back in immediately. So we're looking at next Wednesday as the earliest possible time that legislators will return to Raleigh if there is a verdict on Tuesday and they need to come back and draw maps on Wednesday. There's also the possibility that they believe that courts went too far and they are going to in some way chastise them. So we could have a situation where the General Assembly opens back up room 643 and they have the portals there and they go back in and draw maps. I imagine if that's the case, we are going to see a crowded room, Democrats looking over the shoulder of Republicans as they draw the maps. That could happen. They also had the option to do that last time the maps were drawn. I wonder why they didn't. Because that seemed to be a big part of what Representative Hall said was they chose not to. This guy's shrugging as I, as I asked that question. We don't know. I'm I, not their strategist. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just wait and see. It, it makes for good theater here at the start of the new year, heading into the 2022 session. I hope we get this concluded soon because, I mean, we, we need to have a primary in May. Thanks, what? Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> well, just wait and see. In the meantime, we heard an announcement this week that Representative Pat McElraft, who you you have questioned whether I am pronouncing her. Well, name. now you're pronouncing it different than you usually do. Oh. <laughs> she announced this week that she is not seeking re-election. She is a Republican down in Carteret County. Uh, she had made this same announcement two years ago, then decided that she would get back into the race and she ran. But this year she sounds pretty serious that she's hanging it up. This has become a regular segment on the podcast, the re-election retirements. Yeah. So in the budget, one of the big issues, the biggest issue for Governor Cooper that we heard about ever since he was elected was Medicaid expansion. And in the budget this year, they wrote in a provision that would create a committee to study Medicaid expansion at the General Assembly. And yesterday on Wednesday, there was an announcement of who would be on those committees in the House and the Senate. And over the holiday break, Governor Cooper was on the Tying It Together podcast hosted by our friends over at Capitol Tonight, Tim Boyum and Ben McNeely. Governor Cooper told Tim Boyum in that podcast that he thinks they will get Medicaid expansion. He was told by a few Republicans that they just needed to get through the primary, and then they felt like they would have the freedom to vote for Medicaid expansion. So if we have a primary, what looks to be in mid-May, the General Assembly comes back around that time, we could be seeing some sort of Medicaid expansion bill on the House and Senate floor. That is going to be legislation to watch. In non-General Assembly retirement news, the governor's 
top advisor, Ken Udy, is retiring. Yeah, Ken Udy is a fixture in North Carolina politics. He used to own Capstrat, which is a public relations, government relations firm here in Raleigh. He sold it to a New York City-based PR firm. He is a former executive director of the North Carolina Democratic Party. He is a former journalist at the Charlotte Observer. Best wishes to you, sir. General Assembly shakeups? Yeah, we had some announcements over the holiday. Lucy Harrell over at Representative Destin Hall's office, she announced that she's leaving and she is now going to go work for the Association of County Commissioners. And we heard from Katie Rogers, a staffer over in Representative Brian Farkas's office, that she is leaving and is now working for the International Rescue Committee. Congratulations to both of these staffers. You and I really enjoyed working with them, stopping by the office, not only to talk to the legislators they worked for, but also to chat with them. Two really talented folks. Congratulations. This week, we sat down with Senator Amy Gailey, and we talked about a myriad of things, including the inception of Tomato Sandwich Day at the NCGA, also her family history in North Carolina politics, and her political future. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Amy Gailey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Just to kick us off, can you talk about your district? Where is it? Why is your district special? Well, thank you for asking me that. Um, My district is Alamance County in the eastern third of Guilford County. It's district number 24. And part of what makes my district special is its history and how that history connects to the people who live here there today. Um, The regulator movement, many people are not familiar with it. It was uh, relatively small in the history of the United States, but huge in understanding the politics of North Carolina. It was a movement from 1764 to about 1771 in central North Carolina. You had these um, poor farmers who lived in the back country who were really scratching out a living from just the dirt. And The governor at the time, the royal governor, would send out his henchmen, who were often the sheriff, other people from the royal government, to come around and collect the taxes. And these farmers, they couldn't read, they couldn't write, they didn't have the political skills, the capital, the education to fight against these taxes. They were being told to pay. They would pay them, and then the sheriff would come back and tell them to pay it again. Um, And so they got together, and they tried to talk to the governor, and the uh, British sent Governor Tryon in 1765. He had a military background. He refused to talk to the regulators, and it ended up in an armed conflict on May 16, 1771, at the Battle of Alamance. Um, The Governor Tryon had nine men killed and 61 wounded. We don't know how many regulators were killed or wounded because they didn't really keep casualty counts. Um, Twelve 
regulators were taken captive and taken off to Hillsborough, where six of them were hanged. Mm. They were all condemned to death. Six of them were hanged, and then six of them were let go. Um, through my campaigns and through traveling around the county, I have met a descendant of somebody who was hanged. I have met wow. the descendant of somebody who was let go. Herbert Husband was the kind of sort of leader of the regulator movement, and I've met one of his descendants. So what's pretty cool about it is that um, the descendants are still around. The great-great-granddaughters and grandsons, those regulators are still around, and they still don't trust the government. Mm-hmm. They still think that elites are going to use their education to kind of uh, get the better of them. They still think their taxes are going to be wasted. And against that kind of DNA of politics in central North Carolina, you also have people who've moved there from other places who don't share that personal history, who have their own history that they bring with them from where they come from. So it creates a really interesting dynamic. It is no secret that you are part of a royal family in North Carolina. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, calling this, well, so my maiden name is Scott. I'm a descendant of the Scots um, of Alamance County, and calling them royal is, they might be a royal something, but I don't know (laughs) about, uh, they're definitely not elites. Um, I am a descendant of a person who was at the Battle of Alamance, not through the Scott family, though, but through my father's mother's people. His name was Peter Summers, and he was from Guilford County. Mm. He went on to be a captain in the Revolutionary War, and he's buried at Freedom's Church. So I am a descendant of the uh, someone who was at the Battle of Alamance. As far as I know, no Scots were there. But the link for me with the um, political arm of the Scott family is that Carr Scott, who was Commissioner of Agriculture from 1937 to 1948, then he was governor from 1949 to 1953, and went on to serve in the U.S. Senate until his death in 1958. He was my great-uncle. He and my grandfather, Floyd Scott, were brothers. And Carr Scott, by the way, was he the great roads governor? Yes. That's right. He wanted a paved road everywhere in North Carolina. Yes. So his son was my dad's first cousin, was Bob Scott, and he was governor of North Carolina. He was first elected in 1968 and served until 19, January 1973. Um, he passed away in 2009. And then um, Carr Scott, of course, had a brother, Ralph who served in the seat that I am honored to occupy now. He was first elected in 1950, and then he um, served, he had four years off from 1956 to 1960, and then went on to serve until 1980. And he was president pro tem of the Senate from 1963 to 65, and it wasn't common then to serve as president pro tem for more than one or two terms. Sounds royal to me. Yeah, it does sound royal. <laughs> if you have a building at the state fairgrounds named after you, <laughs> yeah. you're important. That's right. So I knew Governor Bob Scott. I lived in Alamance County for some time. In fact, my daughter was born in Burlington at nice. the hospital there. We lived in Graham. We lived in Mebane for a while. I actually grew up in Union Ridge, which is in the northern part of the county. My grandfather, who was Carr and Ro- and Ralph's brother. He went to medical school at Carolina for two years. His name was Floyd. He went to medical school at Carolina for two years and then finished up at Penn because Carolina only had a two-year program then. And then when he finished with medical school, it was 1918, and he moved to the northern part of Alamance County and opened up a little clinic. It was the height of the Spanish flu epidemic. He went for six weeks without 
taken off his shoes and went on his mule from house to house with his doctor's bag in 1918. And so that's kind of um, my part of the Scott family and where that comes from. Uh Is the pharmacy still in existence? Yes, it is. It's uh, Piedmont. My dad practiced medicine there um, until he retired, and he sold it to Piedmont Health Services. So it's now the Scott Community Health Center in Union Ridge. So how does a Republican Senator Amy Gailey come out of this storied Scott family, a Democratic stalwart family if there ever was one? Well, somebody asked my mother when I first ran for county commissioner in 2016, they said, how come Amy's a Republican? I thought those guys were Democrats. And my mother said that, well, she married into this family of Republicans and Duke fans, and it was easier for her to be a Republican than it was for her to be a Duke fan. (laughs) And it's true. They are the Gailey's. Uh, my father-in-law retired from the Air Force as a colonel, and his last position was uh, commander of Patrick Air Force Base. He was an Air Force pilot in World War, I mean, excuse me, in uh, the Vietnam War. And um, they love Ronald Reagan, and they um, are good Republicans. But, you know, it's like anybody else. Over time, as life gives you different experiences, you change in your views. So you said that your mom answers people's questions about you becoming a Republican. Can you tell us about your upbringing, your parents, and your life in North Carolina with them? Sure. So a lot of people do ask me about the Scott family from time to time, but rarely do I get asked about my mom. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Um, Mom was born, mom was raised in Upper Robinson County. She went to Parkton High School. Um, She grew up on pretty poor, Mm -hmm. a farm family, and um, a they didn't have running water until she was 10 years old. And she, um, her, her father, my granddaddy, had to drop out of school when he was in the eighth grade and go back to the farm because his dad had died. Mm-hmm. So he had to go home and farm. And my Mima, mom's mother, she did finish high school, but she didn't go any further than that. And she became a farmer's wife. So they worked really, really hard. And um, I remember one time mom was talking about how they used to slaughter the hogs and what that was like and how they played with a pig's bladder and stuff like that. And I was probably some horrible age, like 12. And (laughs) I remember she said that, Mima said that they ate every part of the hog. And I said something like, ooh, you know, you ate the brain. And Mima said, well, you know, the children didn't eat that, but um, their father did. And I said, ew, you know, that's really gross. And Mima looked at me real hard, and she said, that's food. Mm. And I said, okay, Mima, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, I just think about those um, people in those times. They both had really big families. My mother grew up with a lot of cousins, and all of them worked in the fields together. Mom did everything that everybody else did with pulling tobacco and picking cotton and, and all of it. And um, she went on to earn her um, RN degree at Baptist Hospital in Winston-Salem. She had three older brothers. One went into the Army, and then the other two put themselves through Wake Forest College or Wake Forest University when it was in Wake Forest. Um, so they were a hardworking family that really valued education. Um, my mima, she, she graduated from high school, but she loved to read. And Mom said that when they brought their books home from school, Mima would take them and she would read their textbooks and she would read the books that they brought home with them because they didn't have access to books 
except for through that. And she really loved to learn. Um, she, my granddaddy died in 1962, and Mima had to learn to drive a car for the first time, and she had to get a job. She mm. left the farm. She became a seamstress in Fayetteville mm. was her occupation, and she supported herself until she was able to retire. So they didn't have a whole lot, but what they had, they worked for, and they were just really good, hardworking people. There was also a, a person in the neighborhood, and this is kind of... I don't know, uh, kind of who these people, who th- my mother's family was. There was a person in the neighborhood, in the community, who could not speak and he could not hear, but he could speak in sign language. And my granddaddy spoke in sign language. And so this person would come around um, from time to time to visit. And they, he and my granddaddy would sit on the porch, and I picture him probably in wooden rocking chairs probably in overalls, probably not wearing shoes, and they would talk with their hands to each other. And mom said they would just laugh and laugh, (laughs) and she just knew they were telling dirty jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Was your grandfather deaf, or did he just... I don't know how he... No, he was not deaf, Um, but he, I guess, picked it up. Um, Okay. They were just um, the kind of people that could talk to anybody. You know, they just were interested in people and could talk to anybody and really cared about the community and the people around them. How did they end up from, your parents, that is, how did your parents end up from Robinson County to Alamance County? My dad went to Carolina, and then he went to medical school at Carolina, and um, he went to do a rotation as a medical student at um, in uh, Virginia, Medical College of Virginia, and that's where my mother was working, and she saw him. She was a nurse, and she saw him. She said he looked so tired and pitiful. (laughs) She felt sorry for him, so she sat down to talk to him in the cafeteria or something. So, In August, your father died, if I remember correctly. He did. He died August the 9th. Yeah, and we were in the middle of session, or we didn't know it at the time. We thought we were at the end of session. That must have been very difficult. It was. I tell you, my Senate colleagues on both sides of the aisle were just really kind and gracious through all of that, and it was tremendously hard. Um, I love my father so much. He was he was my hero, like for a lot of girls thinking about their dad, but he was somebody that you could really look up to. Um, he didn't say a whole lot, but what he said was well thought out and powerful. He dedicated his life literally to helping other people and healing them, and he was a person who um, could really touch people's lives in a big way not by um he was never the center of attention he wasn't the life of the party he was just a good solid man who cared about people and lived his life so that people respected and loved him just for who he was how did you begin your political career what made you want to get into public service that's something i ask myself a lot (laughs) (laughs) what the heck so um in about uh, 2015, uh, you know, I, I like most Americans, I read the paper and I'm pretty well aware of what's going on and have my opinions about things. Um, and around 2015, I read a newspaper article, actually it's in the Washington Post, that said that the U.S. Geologic Survey had published a, um, findings that the area from Raleigh to Atlanta within a relatively short period of time would become a megalopolis like it is from Boston to D.C. And as a native of North Carolina, as 
native of Alamance, I was really concerned about that because we're right in the middle of that. And I thought, well, what is our local government doing to prepare for that? And so I checked into it, and it didn't appear that a lot was happening with that. We um, don't have a lot of land regulation in Alamance County. And um, so I decided to run for county commissioner to draw attention to that issue about growth and how it's changing our community. I was one of seven candidates in that primary. I was the only woman. I met the other six of them, and I thought, hell no, I ain't losing to these people. (laughs) I am way better than any of them. So I um, put the hammer down and really got to work and worked very, very hard. And I ended up losing that primary by 36 votes, which my mother helpfully pointed it out. That's just one vote per precinct. Mm. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) So um, two weeks after the primary, though, um, one of the commissioners who was not up for re-election, he resigned for health reasons, and the Republican Executive Committee for the county um, nominated me to be on the ballot for the remaining two years of his term. So I won that in 2016, and then I was on the ballot again in 2018 and won. Can you talk about growing up and going to college and you're an attorney, kind of your personal and professional life outside of politics? When I was growing up, um, I was a little country girl. I grew up in the middle of tobacco fields. My family did not farm tobacco, but we had a huge garden, and I was expected to participate in that gardening. Um, That is also how I feel about gardening. (laughs) (laughs) I was an unwilling participant most of the time, but um, and did not learn. Now that I'm an adult, I wish I had paid more attention and participated with a little better attitude. But, um, you know, I was the girl in the class with the thick glasses who always had the book. And I was a good student. And um, I learned how to sew. I'm pretty good with a needle. I can actually tat, T-A-T. It's done with a shuttle. And it's a way of old-fashioned way of making lace. Um, You can make snowflakes for the Christmas tree that are tatted. Um, I can knit really well, just uh, quilt. I can do all that kind of stuff because I learned when I was growing up. So I thought when I was in um, high school, it was the 1980s in Alamance County, not a really fun place to be. I was sure that if I could just get to Chapel Hill, that I would have so much fun and my life would be so much better. Mm. And I was right. <laughs> it was fun. We had, so I uh, went to Carolina. I got my undergrad degree in um, 1989. And then I worked in the medical school in the Department of Orthopedics as a secretary for a couple of years before I started in law school. While I was in law school, my friend and I went down to um, Charleston one weekend and I ran into this uh, first lieutenant co-pilot, flew the C-141, and was stationed at Charleston Air Force Base. Got swept off my feet, yada, yada, yada. Three children later, 27 years, I think, of marriage. Did you go back to practicing law at one point? Can you talk about that? Sure, I I did. Um, I connected with an old friend uh, George B. Daniel of Yanceville, who also used to occupy mm-hmm. this seat. Um, he is a dear friend and a wonderful person. and Big Democrat, too, right? Yes, George <laughs> is a Democrat. As, when I was working for him, I, I went in to see him. I sat down in front of his big desk that was covered 
with files and papers. And I said, George, I need to tell you something. I need to talk about something with you. He said, what is it? I said, um, well, I think you should know that I'm actually a Republican. And he said, why? <laughs> and I said, well, I just don't feel like there's room for me in the Democratic Party. And he said, girl, there's room for everybody in the Democratic Party. <laughs> I said, well, I'm sure you think that, George, but um, that's not really the way I feel about it. So I just thought I would tell you. <laughs> and it was fine. And, and he's just wonderful. He's been very supportive of, um, of my efforts. And is a, he's also a good mentor. Uh-huh. And um, George loves young people and he loves um, helping people. And I just have the most respect for him. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask this. The lineage of your family, any possibility that we will see an Amy Gailey on a statewide ballot one day? Is higher office anywhere? Have you ever thought about that governor's mansion, agriculture? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tell you that I am 100% focused on 2022 and okay. this Senate seat and I am interested in how uh, the end of the redistricting litigation turns out. And um, I love the people of Alamance County and enjoy serving them, enjoy the relationships that I've built. If it's the Lord's plan that I should um, seek a different office, then, you know, I would need to explore those relationships that are necessary to make that happen and just um, just wait. You know, I, I love this state. From the mountains to the sea, I just think we have so much to offer as a state. And I would be thrilled to have the opportunity to serve it however however the state needs. I will say that I think that one of the remarkable things about North Carolina has been its native-grown sons and daughters who have served it in incredible ways. Mm -hmm. You think about Dr. Friday and Mm -hmm. the UNC system, um, Charles Corralt. It's a name that comes to mind. Um, obviously, our adopted son from Kansas, mm-hmm. Coach Smith, um, Andy Griffith, you know, and it's both sides of the aisle. You, Governor Hunt mm-hmm. has served the state incredibly well. Also, Jesse Helms served the state with uh, so much distinction. So I look at that and I wonder where are our local grown sons and daughters now who are really leading this state and people that um, we can be proud of. Yeah. And um, if, if I'm called to that arena, then I'll answer the call. But I haven't, I haven't gotten the call yet. You know, I really do love some of the traditions at the General Assembly, chief among them, Tomato Sandwich Day. Tomato Sandwich Day. <laughs> <laughs> Which has a history with... Alamance County and the seat you hold. Can you talk about Tomato Sandwich Day? Sure, I'd be happy to. So Tomato Sandwich Day was started by Senator Hugh Webster back in the 1990s after a a discussion on the floor with Senator Bass Knight. And through that, somehow Tomato Sandwich Day was born. And it is a, a day in July in the long session where the senator from Alamance County is expected to provide tomato sandwiches for all comers. 
And um, I think, uh, I'm not sure if Senator Forrest, Tony Forrest, if he did Tomato Sandwich Day or not, but definitely Rick Gunn did Mm -hmm. and picked up on that tradition. And so not long after I was sworn in, I think it was may have been Nathan Babcock, who was the first one who said, are you still going to do tomato sandwich day? <laughs> it's like, what is that? Mm-hmm. What, am I, what am I supposed to do? How do I get these tomatoes? Where am I supposed to get the bread? So worked on it really hard. Um, it was kind of a lot of effort, actually, but it was very worth it because people really do love tomato sandwich day. Um, it's a nonpartisan event. Um, we don't check anybody's ID. We're not selling anything. You know, there's no partnership with an advocacy organization or or something like that. And it's a tradition. Yeah. You know, I think we all really crave these old traditions that are really pure and non-commercial. Yeah. And um, people can come and congregate and socialize. We had to have it outside in July. So tried really hard to make it as comfortable as possible by providing chairs. And we had fans out to keep the air circulating. Um, it's just two tomato sandwiches, kind of like barbecue, uh, or a true southern slash north carolina cultural touch point can you tell us how many tomatoes did you go through and this is coming out of your pocket right you've got to provide these tomatoes yes i did share end up sharing the cost with the rest of the alamance delegation i made them pitch in and pay for one. <laughs> <laughs> i handed them a bill yeah but they they uh, coughed it up so um the tomatoes were grown by two gentlemen um steve smith used to be the agriculture teacher at western alamance high school and he now owns butter Milk Creek Farms uh, off of Gwyn, G-W-Y-N-N, Gwynn Road in Alamance County. And they have an open farm during the summer. It used to do peaches, but I think that the, the late ice storms kind of ended the peach uh, orchard days. But he does blueberries and some blackberries and stuff. So look for that on Facebook next summer and plan a day trip out to northern Alamance County for that. Um, he grew some of the tomatoes. And then my friend Blair Keck, who owns Bla- Keck Farms in Union Ridge, he is also a Burlington firefighter. And then he also, and he has this farm. Um, Blair grew some of them, and he coordinated with Steve Smith and brought them to the General Assembly and delivered them so that we would have them there that morning. And um, Blair and I go way back. Um, we've been gone to church together for forever. And um, his family is an old Alamance County family, too, and he's a Macaulay. And if you look yeah. on the old map of Alamance County from the 1880s, you'll see the Macaulay Farm in Union Ridge. Um, so that's just uh, that's part of the reason that I enjoy Tomato Sandwich Day is because it's a true Alamance County um, homegrown, home-brought thing. Also, before I forget, I also want to mention that we didn't have any pages or interns in the General Assembly this year. And in the past, they've done some of the cutting and the legwork and stuff. So I called um, the county manager, Brian Haygood, and I called the Burlington city manager, Hardin Watkins, and I said, can you send me some people? And they said, of course we can. And so they each sent four um, employees from the county and from the city, and they pitched in with the the cutting and the, uh, you know, the, the footwork of the whole thing. And I really could not have done it without them. And I appreciate them so much. And you had your house counterparts also cutting tomatoes. I saw. That's true. They were there. Dennis Riddell was there. And I think Ricky Hurtado cut a few. Yeah. I I had uh, three tomato sandwiches that day. I think I had one from each of you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a fun event and um, I'm hope that I am around to do it in 2023. Me too. Our politics today are incredibly divided. 
and our polarization is obvious. If you had a magic wand and you could change one thing in our politics today and it would be fixed, what would it be? Well, I really agree. You know, I've listened to other episodes that you've aired and I really agree with others who have talked about building relationships and also dialing down the animosity between between parties and between individuals. Um, I was a history major at Carolina, and history is really important to me. And I think it's um, so important to remember that this is not really a new thing, that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, uh, two of our founding fathers, they were good friends, but then they became rivals and stopped uh, writing to each other, pretty much speaking to each other, for about 12 years Mm. after the election of 1800. And so I think what we see with politics today as being dysfunctional is not really new. Um, I think that we should choose a good role model like Abraham Lincoln. Um, the second inaugural address, he mentioned, he used the phrase, with malice toward none, with charity toward all, which he was maybe talking about the reconstruction and the reunification of the North and South after the Civil War. But I think it's also a summary of his personal values and his political goals with malice toward none and with charity toward all. Um, He didn't use revenge as a weapon, and he didn't seek to punish his rivals. He didn't look to humiliate people or or put them in their place. He was not what we call snarky. Mm -hmm. He was not ironic. He was a genuine and good person. Um, He made friends of his rivals, and famously so. Um, William Seward was his chief rival in the um, presidential race of 1860 for the Republican nomination. Uh, He made him his Secretary of State. And Edwin Stanton, who became Lincoln's Secretary of War, he kind of came into some conflict with Lincoln when they were practicing law. I think it was over the McCormick Reaper case, which was an intellectual property case. Um, the Washington elites and political people of the day thought that Lincoln was a weirdo, mm-hmm. that he was too tall, he was not coordinated. Uh, George Washington was an athlete, and people really liked him. You know, Ronald Reagan famously, you know, all the women wanted to date him and all the men wanted to be his best friend. Lincoln was not like that. He was awkward. People made a quick judgment of him and didn't take him seriously and underestimated him. But in response, he was able to really navigate very complex political situations without making enemies. When people tried to be his enemy, he wouldn't be one. He would be you know, cordial and respectful and polite no matter what. He didn't just have thick skin or elephantine skin. He had Kevlar skin. Mm-hmm. You know, He had skin like titanium. And I think that we need more politicians that are committed to really tuning out the negativity and understanding um, that somebody trying to uh, make money off of you, say something ugly about you and then fundraise off of your response or, you know, taking a situation where you maybe were rivals and then trying to punish them when you get the chance to, you know, that's just not... It's not not only is it not good for the country or for the state, it's also not good for you as a person. Yeah. Um, so he made Lincoln made friends out of his enemies because of his ability to forgive, his ability to not make the conflict personal. 
he put the good of the nation above his personal self-interest, and he had just a very deep reservoir of goodness. So there's the saying from Sun Tzu, also from quoted in, I believe, The Godfather Part Two: <laughs> uh, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And I think Lincoln did that. Um, it, he had his friends, then he had his enemies. He made his friends into his enemies. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made his enemies into his friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that would improve our politics. If we have more politicians who are able to really overcome and rise above the, um, the chatter I agree. Be like Abraham. Yeah. Sounds like a good podcast. I'm fascinated by Abraham Lincoln. I am too. He There's a quote, uh, Representative Jimmy Dixon quoted him one day on the House floor, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't know the quote, but it was Abraham Lincoln said, I don't like that person. I really need to get to know them better. And I thought, and Jimmy Dixon was talking about how he felt that way about some across the aisle, but as he got to know them, he learn to respect them. And it is, it is a good way of going about politics. It is. Also, Lincoln apparently had a habit of when he was angry at somebody, he would write, write them a letter and then he would fold it up and put it away and not send it. And then he'd take it out a few days later and reread it and maybe rewrite it or just trash it. So after he was assassinated, apparently his, um, his assistants in cleaning out his desk found a drawer full of hate mail <laughs> that had never been sent. But I think about that a lot when I'm writing an email or if I'm thinking about sending a tweet or any kind of written communication. I stop and I think, you know what, this needs to go in the Lincoln drawer. Let's sit on this until I'm not mad anymore and um, take the emotion out of it and take some of these verbs and tone them down a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the drafts feature on Twitter it's out there for you. It's your friend. It Use is it. your friend. It is your Drafts friend. Drafts is your friend. Well, Senator Amy Gailey, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, and I appreciate your, um, I appreciate your podcast and what you're doing with it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. A few years ago, I met Senator Gailey through the Institute of Political Leadership, which New Frame does some communications work for and some of their trainings as their training candidates. And this is prior to her serving on the county commission. She was looking at getting into North Carolina politics. I had said, she's someone I'm going to watch. And then a few years later, I see her in the North Carolina Senate. I think you and I went and met with her when she first got elected. She had just been sworn in, so we were taking some issues to her. But it's great to see her political career where it is. Appreciated her sitting down with us and talking and look forward to working with her some more in 2022 and beyond. Tweet of the week.
tweet of the week. I saw this the other day while on Twitter and thought it was a funny exchange. It started with Will Doran, who was covering the redistricting trial. For the News and Observer. Yes. And he was talking about one of the experts who was on the stand. And it said, Taylor's attempting to melt everyone's brains by using maps that show Democrats as red and Republicans as blue. He's British and defends this decision as being what the rest of the world except the U.S. does. So, number one... You're learning something on this podcast. And number two, then Kate Martin at Kate Reports tweeted, so what is his excuse for driving on the left then? (laughs) And she said, to be fair, the Brit has a lot more ammo against us. We still refuse to use the metric system. (laughs) Those are all facts. These are all facts. I also have a theory that the Brits are faking their accents. Oh, yes, you do have this. I do. If you listen to them sing... If you listen to Phil Collins, if you listen to Billy Ocean, they don't sing in their British accents. They sing in American accents. <laughs> I think I think if you were to... So we're accent shaming. No, we're not accent shaming. I just don't know why they're faking their accents. I think if you were to wake a British person up in the middle of the night... And their house is on fire. They are not going to talk in a British accent. They're going to talk like us. They'll be like, let's get out of here. <laughs> you just used an accent when saying that. No, they're not going to say, let's get out of here. We've got to depart. They're going to say, hey, man, let's get out of here. Okay. I think an exciting update that the people want to know is how is your raw diet going? I made some hummus last night from chickpeas that soaked for five days so I didn't have to cook them. I've had some meat, I'm putting quotes around meat, that I made out of cashews, sunflower seeds, ground up, and I put some chili spice on it. Have you lost weight? I've lost like two and a half pounds. Wow. Two and a half pounds. So I feel good about that. Where I'm going with it is that on Monday night... (laughs) Day one of his raw diet, we're getting ready to eat dinner together, Brian and I are. And he announces to me, he's like, the food is just so filling that I haven't even had to have snacks. Now, Brian Lewis is obsessed with a diet, right? So he tracks everything he eats, he weighs it out, so his calorie count is incredibly accurate. And so I said, oh, how many calories have you eaten? And with his dinner, he had eaten... 3,100 calories. It was almost 3,200. It was like 3,197 or something. He'd eaten almost 3,200 calories that day. So, of course, he wasn't hungry. Yeah. Here's the problem with a raw diet is you're going to eat a lot of nuts, cashews, (laughs) walnuts, pecans. And so there's... that's where Name all of the nut family, please. Sunflower seeds are not nuts, but anyway, you're (laughs) you're eating a lot of this and they are full of calories and fat, by the way. And so I was making portions of like a a meat taco and I was putting that same proportion together for my meal and it was just too much food but I've, I've got it together now I'm eating less I, this is something I don't want to do long term I don't know how folks do this but I'm doing it for a week because I've wanted to do it is that why you're doing it it's a good challenge and next week what will you be doing I'm going to go back to my regular diet and but I will say this okay I have learned some things about 
how I should be eating more whole foods. You know I'm a snacker. You know I'm an eater. I do want to incorporate. You learned that from this diet, not from the 842 times I've told you that. Yes. Wow. <laughs> this is another example of how you don't listen to it's, me. Okay. You're take, okay. No, 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 no. I got to go. You're taking it wrong. I'm not saying I, I understand, but I did. It has forced me to be creative in the kitchen in what I cook. So I'm like using uh, avocados a lot to spice up my food, or I'm using tomatoes to kind of give it some texture. So I'm just learning how to prepare food. So you're a very creative cook. You are one of the best. You're my favorite chef ever. Sky David makes great food. I am not a good cook, but whenever I force myself out of these comfort zones, it teaches me something. So I think I'll be better for it. One small work resolution that I had was that I wanted us to have a presence on Instagram. And I had to take away your new frame tagline or your new frame account name to do so. But we started a new frame governmental affairs Instagram. So you can follow us at new frame gov affairs on Instagram. I am glad to be back at work happy to see you. I'm looking forward to 2022. I'm looking forward to the podcast. We have some exciting guests lined up for this month and beyond. As we head into this new year, we hope that you take some time to recover from the holidays, maybe from family, get your mind right to come back to the legislative session. And remember whatever you're doing to do politics better. Look at these high schoolers and their jewels outside. Move it along, people. Are they just going to stand outside and talk right there at, at the, in the back of his truck? Yeah. All right, say goodbye. <laughs> Get in your truck and leave. Wow, bye, bye. Bye. I love you. He's going to cry. I love you. Call me when you get home. Oh.